in the 1980s, Liverpool had a big group of boys who really boosted the match. This story is drawn from inspiration from some personal experiences long ago. In another world, there's another place. Menzies tells the truth, but a few use artistic license to build up the story. <clears throat> the first thing to do is to state that a vast majority of Liverpool fans never contributed to violence within the ground, and we actually had quite a friendly reputation. Before we were put into a catastrophic situation in '85. We must never forget the innocent lives and different nationalities that were lost in 85 at the Hazel Stadium. Tragedy. Nobody should ever go to a football game again and never come back. Circumstances ensued and people died. A crumbling stadium and a corrupt, blind UEFA organisation didn't help matters at all. Later in 89, more corruption from police contributed to another disaster which must also be never forgotten. These stories usually follow the exploits of four lads and their friends from Hyde area Liverpool. Who am I? You may ask. Well, I just saw them run around with the boys in 83 to 85. Only a short time, but this is when the activities was at its peak. At the time when the fashion, violence and sheer ferocity was at its peak. The gangs were massive, the action was on a large scale. Today's action pales in comparison. The violence was not addictive to me. It was exciting and got the endorphins flowing in the brain. Like any danger does, I never got arrested. I was content to stay in the sidelines when there was a heavy police presence. We did travel with the core boys on the ordinary now and again. I got involved, I got involved if and when necessary, but the crews were so big you could easily go unnoticed. It was the youth culture and never followed me into my twenties. To me it was the lads being lads and looking for the dust up. We knew that we had one of the biggest and best crews in the area. We started the styles, the culture, and we were the hardest in our own eyes. Preface The Seeds of Devilment Fighting comes easy to some people and fighting means different things to different people. Fighting always has one thing in common. It's not for a cause. It is for a cause. Whether this cause is justified, it makes no difference. Gio was like any other kid. He had a few scrapes, but the one he was losing affected him most. It put him off fighting for a long time and affected him in ways he didn't know. As a child, your attitude towards life and situations is forged. And it's very hard to change your way of thinking, but it does happen sometimes. What is it that puts you in a tribe? Is it your sense of belonging to nothing or no one? Does it make you affiliate with a gang or a group of people? Everybody seems to want to belong to something gives them a sense of purpose and identity. It feels like being a comrade in the face of adversity. At school, Gio was a survivor. He learned to keep his mouth shut and out of trouble. It was a wise move considering his small size for his age. But one thing made him feel that little bit bigger than he was. That thing was being together with others with a joint sense of purpose. The main time this occurred 
was when the local school decided to have a large gang fight across the fields. It didn't matter what divided them. A school, tie, colour or religion. It was just a reason to be different or better than the other crowd. The other school was Catholic and this school Protestant. It was a reason, even though nobody really believed in religion. Although a strange sort of sectarianism was lukewarm and alive in Liverpool. It was just an excuse, it was a divide that made fighting plausible. Kids will be kids, and kids are cruel. This was his chance to show he wasn't just a pussy, but make something of himself. This was a chance to show he wasn't just a pussy, he could make something of himself. Them daft playground and school battles were a thing of the 70s and 80s. A thing that defined a person, where a person was from. Because there were not many class divides in the massive working class district of this old city. Hyden was 99% white but 50% poor. Youth culture was alive and kicking. It was the end of the punks. Two-tone just died. There was just a few sec second wave and mods about. Then it was romantic, but they were all short-lived, colourful fads. The only long-lasting culture that seemed to besides the newly established mods was the skinheads and some northern soul dudes who were not really prevalent in this area. The lads from Merseyside were wearing Adidas, Samba, Pods, Keogh's, Kickers since the late 70s. They were some of the earliest trendsetters, and they just thought it was a normal thing to be. Those heady days of school will always be with you. A baseline for who you are. A line where you shouldn't forget. But a line you should not take too much notice of. Childish passions were fun and it was a great time, but everyone just grew to a mental maturity. However, attitudes sometimes carry on into your teens and early twenties with all the fun and frolics this brings. Growing up too fast is a waste of your spiritual potential. So the days and terrors of school were forgotten. It was time to grow up. Or was it? 
Unemployment was at a 50-year high, and Toxus was the worst affected area of Liverpool. In 1981, BMO Rod, Gio and John all jumped the bus from the suburbs of the inner city, where there was a certain bit of unruly behaviour going on. It was a hot summer night, and the lads were aged between 13 and 17. They were on a mission to see the new phenomenon called a riot. As they jumped off the bus, they could both they could all see the smell of the smoke. They walked down Tunnel Road and could literally hear the crowd making charge noises like it was some sort of French revolution against the ruling classes. Relations with the police were strained all over the city. The kids of the day knew it was their unruly, that they were unruly. They would get basically get a good crack on their legs with a truncheon. And it made them more bitter than they should have been. There was even rumours that a man was killed in his cells, a man called Jimmy Kelly. Remo reached the flames first. He was enthusiastic to see a few flames. As he always liked jumping over bonfires on bomby night. They're having a good go at the busies. I should have brought a petrol bomb. I've always wanted to throw one of them some, some someone, you know. Joe looked them with a bit of surprise in his eyes. Really, Remo, a bomb? It's a bit extreme, mate. Couldn't you just use a brick? You might set the poor bastards alight. Rod agreed. I wouldn't like to be on fire. John was the oldest, but he got on well with these kids. We're not here to brick the busies, lads. We need to get some free stuff. Everyone agreed, and they marched on towards Parliament Street. All four were white lads, and they didn't have a great deal of contact with the black lads around this area. But they were keen to meet the brothers in crime. Three big lads ran past. They were just white lads. There was about seven police chasing them. One got a good smack on the leg with a truncheon, but carried them running with a limp. Lumps of bricks suddenly arched over a wall and straight into the police line. Three coppers went down, and their colleagues dragged them backwards. Then what looked like a rocket swivelled across the sky and landed just in front of the thin blue line. Immediately exploded into yellow and purple flame, and the lads could feel the heat on their young faces. Remo's face lit up. Yes, a petty bomb. I fucking want one. One of the lads had a gash on his head. They pulled the young lads away behind the green rusty railings, and they looked desperate to get away from the pursuers. Who are you, though? And where's all the gear? John questioned them straight away. We're just here to get a few bits and bobs for our Mars. Maybe a telly for our bedrooms. I'm Joey. This is Dyson. We're all from Kirkdale. What are you lot doing here? We're only here for the gear, lad. Rod tried to sound big and cool. You're a bit young, but watch out for the black Mariahs. They'll pull you in just for standing around watching. Whether you're black, white, blue or pink. One of the lads had a few plastic bags full of stuff. And they all dressed really well with all the latest designer gear on. Where'd you get that? Rod was feeling cheeky. There's not much left down this end of Parley. We got a few Pringle jumpers and some tradies, but what are you after? I want a telly. Remo gave an evil smile. How are you going to get that, lad? Have you had a robbed car or something? Remo felt stupid for not thinking about the logistics what he always had. An answer. Nah, I only wanted a portable. The lads all laughed and inquired what the team the lads supported. We're all red through and through, the mighty reds, Geo stated as an obvious fact.
you should come to Anto Anfield one night. There's always a few windows go through and the away matches are since to get gear, lads. We usually stand at the bottom of Valley Road. We always need new recruits. Anyone into gang fights? Fucking right. We go to the Swans once. We're the item boys. You're all welcome down here then, lads. We've got to get off now. Some dickhead coppers are looking for their helmets. Fucking Bobby's helmet. Ha <laughs> ha. They're all fucking stupid swats with no hats. One of the lads then held out another plastic bags with two coppers' helmets in. What's the point in robbing them? Geo was puzzled. We use them for kids' parties. When they get sick of them, we usually shit on them and see if they float in the river, just like poo sticks. But we call them shitty busy boats. The lads all laughed out loud. To break up the laughter, another petrol bomb landed quite close and they could really feel the heat. The boys didn't take any advice from the football robbers and decided to carry on towards the lodge lane shops. About 20 black lads ran round towards them. The little crew didn't know what to do and decided to stand and see what was happening. A big tall lad seemed to be some sort of leader and wheeled around to look at them. What do you kids want? This is a serious shit going on. And you footballer come here to join in your little riot. John shouted back. We've come here to help you out. And yet the football crowd, the coppler. The what lot? I'm always behind the fence, lads. You lot got any bombs? You're always effective. The boys all looked clueless about what to say. Their body language said they were all amateurs. The awkward silence was disturbed by another petrol bomb which caught two riot shields full on. A copper pulled back, his arms fully on fire. The big crew started to laugh and shouted, Death to the pigs! Death to the pigs! The reinforcements arrived and gave chase to a large group of blacks. The young lads didn't know whether to run away with them or just fuck off home. It really was that dangerous black smoke covered the stars. The sound of sirens was thick in the sky. A shop suddenly made a massive explosion as his gas pipe must have become inflamed. Not unlike a war, bricks and mortar flew across the roads and the boys looked astonished at the level of destruction. The shockwave hit them like an instant gas mark fire blast and the rumble shook the whole bodies. As the firelights flickered you could see the glass strewn pavements. John thought he could see what could only be described as items which had been looted from shop windows. From a nearby house you could hear children crying as he had no way of getting away from the trouble and had to live with the danger. This is fucking mad, I'm off home. The match sounds easier to me. Rod was having none of the danger. John was resigned to getting nothing free to this day. What was left was burning anyway. Yeah, lads, let's jump the 76 back to Aiton. This is a bit too mad. Remo looked disappointed, but thought about the lads had already said about Anfield. Our school was quickly forgotten about the world of work was supposed to be the next... But in 83, this area, there was scab work about. So the local youths would join schemes or look for something else to do with an excessive amount of time available to themselves. Boredom, vandalism, drinking and smoking weed seemed the thing to do. However, there was one thing that might keep them occupied. The hustle and bustling bud of First Division, a few miles down the road. England's most successful team was just revving up. And these youths needed an identity, a place to play. The match beckoned as these rivals were suddenly fellow pupils, but people with different accents and very different ways of dressing.
freedom to run. Chapter 1 It was January 1983. The sky was dark. Gio was not used to getting up so early. For an unemployed youth, this was a sacrilege to his, to him. Get to bed late, get up late, attitude. But it was weird that this day was different. This day would be exciting, full of travelling. The taste of yesterday's lager still lingered and his tongue was dry in his sense of humour. The hour was quiet until his good friend John arrived with his bus saver ticket, ready for another cheap day out. They disregarded the bus driver, who just looked at them with disdain and discomfort. The station was cold, dark and empty. Back in the 80s, the city was dark and abandoned place, but the kids made their most of what they had. It was Chernobyl. That was supposed to be abandoned, but in reality, the population shrunk from nearly one million people to half that in 50 years. Most of the other friends had got lucky with or moved out to more affluent areas like Bournemouth, where work, work was available and through wages were low. Work was work, so welcome to a teenager with no money for vices. Even the beers has abandoned this cold, lifeless place. The odd sound of the whistle still rudely pierced the air. The station had a stationery shop. Opened up at 8.30, but this was their patch until then. Old stairs led up to a great little area on the roof where they meet up before the away matches. They both avoided the special football trains as these were heavily policed with freedom of movement almost next to nil. Alright Gio, you ready for the big one today? Got your knuckles dusted lad. Stan was a bit of a leader. The others looked up to him and he was always first with a quip. Yeah mate, what's your other play? Are we going to bunk the train today? Have you brought your invisible cloak again? Or is it Alfie on the gates again? Gio looked tired, but was buzzing with anticipation. No, Alfie's found out, I think. Story is, his missus has put his thumb down. She's not soft. No, know what he's up to. All extra cash. She doesn't seem to mind when he buys her things, though. It looks like we're on our own today, boys. The whole crew were dressed in their own self-made uniform that consisted of quite colourful clothes, tracksuits in many colours and easily defined names sewn across the front. Only the big names of course. There was nothing cheap about these lads. Although the 80s are now seen as a long gone era, to these lads it was so modern and new. The hazardous smoke had a profound effect on half the crew who knew not to smoke, unless of course it was something weird smoking. So just a couple of them rolled up tobacco until one pulled out a spliff. Jesus, lad, it's a bit early for a bifter, innit? Carty commented. Carty was oversized for his old age of 16 and was uncomfortable with his new body, although always leaning forward like a pensioner. Whatever, lad, I'm doing it anyway. It's the start of something good today. You know, it's just define your life. There was muted laughter. Some parts of the station started to breathe out steam from boilers starting up and the smell of hot dogs being prepared from street vendors outside to spoil the air. The station roof revealed a city centre, which was only real part of the city that was almost alive. It probably what attracted the crew to this little spot. The historic and great buildings gave way to the city's rich heritage. 
The Roman-like buildings showed off their magnificence and almost scoffed at the vandalism of concrete which dotted around the area. Pedestrian subways which stunk of urine webbed under every street. The morning pigeons nestled nearby and one of the lads started throwing sandwiches, which were prepared by his caring mother, as she knew she couldn't stop and do what he wanted after he left school. The ten boys hatched their plan to get on the seven ten trades at Coventry. One of the lads pretended to be total agony on the floor with blood pouring out from one of his legs. One of his friends stayed by his side and called over to the guard. Hey mate, his leg, some tramp stabbed him. A mad tramp with a whiskey bottle. You gotta help him. The guard looked around shiftily and approached the two lads. Just as he did, it was the other eight appeared from behind some bins, all trying not to laugh. They stumbled and ran through the gate. The guard was completely off guard and noticed nothing in the dimly lit place. The light straining shoes made hardly, hardly any noise. And when they got towards the train, they couldn't reveal their delight. The roofs of laughter and sarcastic animal noises. Get the hell back way here, young man, one of the lads put on his poshest voice he could do. The two lads in the station looked at the guard with a puzzled look. Oh, it's all right, mate, but if you can get me something to stop the blood, it doesn't hurt too much. Don't think he's hit any crucial veins. Can you get me a cloth for cleaning it up and I'll go straight to hospital? It's just that my mum will kill me if I get any blood on my new gear. Because I'll cost a lot this you know mate the injured lad looked in a matter of fact way at the guard the guard looked around and approached Lot's property as he disappeared out of sight the two lads ran for the gate again they started to laugh and one of them kicked the other up the arse get on that same mug you gotta bleed to death if you can't run too fast the crew invaded the early morning train which was mostly abandoned except for the odd businessman with his broadsheet they sat along seats and lied wherever they could, wherever there was room. One businessman scoffed at the behaviour, but the kids decided not to say anything back. Despite the complete dominance of the situation, certain rules from school held them back from being totally rebelling against the seniors. Probably the threat of violence stemming from the cane, which was often dissed out out of whim. The very thing they threatened was still a deterrent against them. Maybe this is why they felt the need for violence and they saw the need to do what others done to them. As the train pulled out the station, half the lads stuck their big heads out of the window and gave the beast sign to the guard who they'd tricked. Wild noises came from their mouths, strange screams of mad delusion and sarcastic laughter. The next challenge was the ticket conductor. They took it in turns to sit in the toilets with the door open and keep a watchful eye on the corridor. Poor Sam's sandwiches were now getting thrown between each other and one kid ends up with a piece of ham down his back. All they got from him down and managed to squash it into his Pringle jumper. You bunch of swats, no need for that one. He blurted out them. Their synchronised laughter sounded like applause to their minds. Bits of meat and cheesy slowly descended from the windows as somebody lit, lit off their next spliff. Some lads in the next carriage were late arrivers, but these were the top boys, the hardest of the crew, and the attitude was as surprising to Geo. One lad was called Ronnie. He was well-dressed and worked full-time at some untalked-about job. 
You know I like a good punch up lad. It's a challenge. But all these knives are gonna fucking ruin it for us. And me myself, I don't wanna get slashed as much as the next man, but fuck that. If I refuse to carry it's just spoiling our skadoodles and making our little sips a little bit more of a pain. Yeah, I remember a hatchet man at West Ham bleeding psycho inmate and there's no getting over someone like that. Gee, I had enough of all the sensible talk. And besides them top boys just didn't like singing. Too bloody cautious. Gio's carriage erupted into the base of Where the bar me and he rode army na 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 and some politically sensitive songs that the lads just sang to be rebellious. And even though I had no idea what the point was, the train pulled up at Birmingham New Street Station and some of the lads burst out with racist chants even though no one was black. One lad was black. He didn't seem to know what to sing or even whether to sing. Next up was Coventry. This was an industrial city with many council estates, poor workers and unemployed, so the lads never quite knew what to expect. As they got off the train, singing erupted, the top boys joined and started to shout, shush, be quiet, no songs. These were a little older and wiser and knew there'd be plants waiting about from the police or the Coventry crews. There was roundabouts and subways everywhere, but strangely, there was always someone about who knew his way to the stadium. The next subway they entered, there appeared a crew of fans in sky blue. Alright, Jay. Yeah. Stop. Who looked half up for a fight. Only one or two had scarves and the rest were dressed in clothes. Not a lot different from the Liverpool lads. Lots of different ethnicities caught the eye of the Liverpool lads. They looked so different from us, they collectively thought. The Liverpool fans ran straight at them like it was their duty. And all, all did it at the same time, like a flock of birds turning into one object objective. As always, the other crew ran the other way. For some reason, the Liverpool crew had a bad name. Or a good name in their eyes. The general countrywide concessions of the Scousers was that they were all working class nutters derived from dockers and sailors. Although nothing could be further from the truth. They were just following a path of fun. And frolics. To whoever it sent them. They were in the hands of the free of fate and they loved the feeling they got from this fact. The mob ahead quickly got away. As there was a usually 50 yards between these chased and often nobody was hit at all. It was just one of the thrill of the chase and the feeling that they won this little battle that gave them comfort. This concrete jungle of a city was a maze of concrete. Not one aesthetic building in sight to change the mood of the oppressive concrete, but some of these kids liked what the feeling it was not far reminded from where their council blocks where they lived. It felt a bit like home and they felt more and more like it was their turf. There was a deep line of respect between the hardcore boys from each club. 
some even knew each other and met up a later time for drinks or to swap scary stories and nearly just get battered variety. There had been no pre-contact with any of the other boys today, but the atmosphere was getting more and more dangerous as the Liverpool boys realised that this was not going to be an easy ride. More stragglers of fans seemed to pop out of every small subway, eyeing them up and ready for conflict. A bunch of brave dancers were in the next subway. Some of the Liverpool lads started to show their skills off to the locals. This was greeted with great delight, probably because they were not getting the aggro, but respect from their fellow music fans. Come on Liverpool, one of the dancers shouted as they went past, probably a local RFC fan or a lad glad not to be touched. The next underground sound was Fuck the Scousers and Dippers Dippers Jacket Rippers This was getting more and more intense Geos was rearing to go full of adrenaline like a boxer ready for his next rumble on a concrete jungle He looked around and everybody was scouting waiting for the next reason to chase A bit like Muhammad Dali Geo thought We never lose We just chase and watch them all run His stomach was ready to drop Something that flight of fight feeling and suddenly his legs felt weak, probably from getting up to an unusual, unusual time. But they prowled on, waiting and watching every conky corner was another danger to them. Fucking Coventry, don't even know what to call them, plastic brummies or what. One of the main boys shouted, then the chase began. Through every concrete corner they chased the gangs ahead. It was bound to end in nothing, but everything blood was boiling waiting for an opportunity to fight for a moment of madness or an unfortunate turn of bad luck it was all in the back of the mind the shadows grew as people ran shadows shrunk and grew in strip lights mayhem the roar went out again another charge towards the enemy and another false dawn the voices were like ghosts calling for their prey to fall into a trap but eventually this world of roundabouts and tunnels came to an end and ahead was a football stadium with loads of football fans, mostly in sky blue. These people were not prey, they were just normal fans. Every day walked past them, everybody walked past them. With scorn in their faces, they don't even matter. Just real fans here for their match, nothing else. One or two funny looks were met with pretend jumps towards them. They quickly edged away towards the safety of the police. The police quickly identified the band of baddies who were quickly dispersed and put into the away end. John John knew this would happen. Even though they had tickets, they often thought they were wasting their money. But it was only a few quid and they knew the JDO would most likely be free. The whole time they realised they'd not eaten, living on fumes and adrenaline pies in the stadium, half of them stolen by some chancer. A quick lager for most of the gang, then off to watch the match. The singing often motivated the fans to be more aggressive. And unlike the modern game, there was hardly any women or kids here. It was a male domain where aggression, insults and sometimes golf balls could be flung at the opposition. A few daring nutters managed to clamber over the fences and shouted and screamed to some of the fans in the home end. People ran in every direction, the police quickly restored order. The insults and chantings never stopped. Only rudely broken up by four goals the Reds scored. In fact, 
The Reds actually lost 4-0, I remember that match. The mood was better for victory, but the lads didn't know what chaos awaited them outside. On the way out, the chaos started early. The police were nowhere. Everybody tried to stick together, but a mix-up and a melee ensued. Nobody knew who was next to nobody. Then a field came into sight and a few of the gang got together. Then that's when the crew saw Coventry boys waiting for them. Come on, whoa! They shouted like it's a war, the bodies clashed, fists and kicks were flung plenty, but the only things that were bruised were their ego and a few swollen faces. The field where the quick battle took place was littered with tracksuit tops and a few trainers. The police quickly broke up the fight and that's when things went a bit more hairy. It looks like Gio and Jum were on the wrong side of the road and the crew the wrong crew. Quickly John pulled out of the crew. A policewoman protested and ran after him, reached for his nice new coat hood, but he was too fast for her. And that was Gio's turn to try to escape. A few Coventry lads had noticed what was going on round him and ushered Gio towards the middle of themselves. Despite numerous attempts to tell the police that he was in the wrong area, he was ignored. The temperature rose and he saw their evil faces looking for his blood edging him towards their centre, but he knew it was do or die now, he was too strong for them and they were not prepared to throw punches at him with the police in close proximity. He barged them all out the way and ran for his life. Hey stop you! Who do you think you are going? The policeman screamed after him. Out of here copper! Better flee than die behind you stupid lines! Geo shouted quickly. Now it's Joy returned as he realised he was escaped the lion's den. His sense of safety brought endorphins to his brain. That almost made it worth the risk of being trapped like a sheep round wolves. The lads quickly met up again and realised how close shaved they'd just had. Coventry again next year, lads, the top boys yelled, impressed with the separate with the separate crew's bravery, guts and gusto. Yeah, they shouted and boarded this special train of mass and no chance of detection among such a big group of fans. The songs were sung by the lads about the Battle of Coventry long after that day and Gio and John lived to see other days. A couple of months later they were in the station rafters again with the same bunch of lads. John had stolen some money from under the statue at home and his doll had not arrived. Probably some gas or electric money. It's time for Arsenal, it's time for London, it's time to feel the wrath of our greedy fingers again, Doily shouted as young rag had worked his way up into the bigger ranks. But he still hung round with his bunch of vagabonds simply because he knew that they all enjoyed the company. The banter was too good. He was quite bright and had worked on a building when he could get it. But he was currently in college studying for a degree in electrics. Doyley knew they were the last few years in a queue, and his career is his top priority. So he was going to make the most of these years. He wore the latest gear stole for all from over Europe. Them large sports hypermarkets were just too easy to steal from. They were asking for it. Then there was one time when a couple of his crew simply walked into the Munich hypermarket with one girl on checkout covering the whole of the store. They simply waited for her to look somewhere else and actually walked off with a mannequin full of expensive gear just to see if it was possible. They were the days that Doyle would remember the most. The guts they had to do them things were just normal at the time. 
it was his later years he would realise how much risk he was taking, but the buzz was worth it at the time. You gonna share the sausage roll, Jaffa, or keep it for yourself and the pigeons? Gio asked as he hadn't eaten much himself, or there was simply too much food in the house. Simply no food in the house, and not much open this time of the night. Although he did wonder where the roll had come from this time in the morning. Get lost, catch a friggin' pigeon, if you're only Jaffa looked at protective of his roll. He wasn't the brightest tool in the box. You know, if I catch a pigeon, would you bite its head off? But it's really not easy to catch one, you know. And then I could have a bit of your sausage roller. So you had to try this one. It was just too funny. All of the gang looked up with laughs caught up in their throats. This couldn't be happening. Uh, yeah, okay, you can't catch a pigeon. They're too fast. And they'll fly. Aye, you knobhead. Jaff replied, looking almost smug with himself. Jaff was a black man with red hair, hence his almost racist nickname, which he did actually quite like. He was famous in a cop, but had moved on up in the world into the ranks of the boys, probably because of his fame. Every year he would be paraded up and down the cop like a trophy. He travelled up and down from one pair of hands to the next. It almost became a tradition after winning the league. Everyone loved him in reality because of his innocence and his open nature. He would never give an untrue answer to any question. Gio reached a bit of Jaffa's roll and ran away. Hey, Divi, what are you doing? You haven't caught a bird yet. Jaffa jumped up and looked quizzically at Gio. I know, I can't do nothing without bait. Now can I? The crew all laughed and Geo spat the end of and Geo spat the end of the pigeons, then dived on him, all managing to grab one. Birds scattered everywhere, feathers and all. Here it is, Jaffa, Polly the pigeon. The pigeon to be beheaded. He's about to become Polly the Polaxed. Jaffa had a sick look in his eyes. Yeah, let's see if you really are one of the boys now, Jeffrey. Let's see if you can eat its whole head, eyes and all. What are you made of, lad? Boy, I like animals. I can't, Jaffa replied. Well, wretching. Go on, keep your crowns or I'll kick your head in, lad. Joe looked all clever in his nice clothes full of grey feathers and a clucking pigeon trying his hardest to flap out of his hand. Joe kicked. Handed to Jaffa, tried his best to bite its head. The pigeon squealed and flurried off as he attempted to bite. The laughter was riotous and the pigeon flew off. Most of the crew were bent over with the laughter. Some of them sp spitting on the floor to clear the throats after too much laughing. Bunch of cunts, Jaffa recorded to name call, but eventually came round and threw his sausage roll at Geo. The morning got better as they all bunked. Each other over the railings onto platform nine. Again, those tennis shoes were quiet when running. Who the fuck? Who the fuck? Who the fucking hell are you? They sang at each station the morning. Commuters didn't know which way to look. The odd teenager gave them the fingers as the train rolled into the station. London was the ultimate place for, to conquer. The capital, the Scousers, always spat out that word. Images of people in bowler hats with briefcases, 
the middle and upper classes who are miles away from what the situation the lads find themselves in. This was a Tory heartland. This was where the main enemy was at. And the place represented everything they didn't have. But in reality, they were the disadvantaged fight. They were the disadvantaged fighting the disadvantage. As the real cockneys came out, the working class lads in London who had their own troubles, the journey from Euston Station was a quick one over the road to some put they found with a decent amount of pool tables in. After about an hour of drinking, John and Geo were on the lookout for any crews who were up for it. There was a lot of them crisscrossing the capital on the underground every Saturday. A coach pulls up and a few crew get off and walk towards the two lads standing on a corner. Geo runs to the bar and shouts, Chelsea's here! Which prompts everyone to run out off of the crew with snooker cues. The Chelsea crew quickly realised they were bitten off more than they could chew and abandoned their coach for their feet quickly chased away. The afternoon draws in and it's time to march to Highbury. Luckily, somebody seems to know the way. They don't bother with the tube station. Just take control of the streets. No police around to segregate. This was Freedom Central. Somebody has decided to take the boys on a detour to White Hart Lane. Another poor trodden London estate. And there were so many of them here. The boys suddenly felt an edge again. As they were surrounded by concrete tower blocks. And the odd person throwing things at them. From a decent height. Then down to the tube station some idiot decided they wanted to go to Spears instead of Highbury. The tube train was foreign to the lads. So many people packed into one carriage and so many different colours and creeds with nobody arguing or fighting was quite unusual to see from a city which probably had the highest percentage of native English people. No insults or moody stares. It was a bit unsettling for them. The chanting and laughter started again and some people looked uneasy on their seats. Cool it down, lads. We don't want to be found out this early, Doily shouted. With the ultimate respect, the shouting and singing stopped to the great relief of the commuters. Let's go to West End. This place is fucking dump. Worse than Kenny High Street, someone shouted. Howls of, yee, yeah, nah, and laughter. Let's go. Fuck the cockney perverts. So the crew of loony lads charged down the nearest subway. And all jumped their barriers. Some station man just watched them and didn't have a clue what to do. As they all charged into the already packed train, people were told to get off, use another carriage, another train. Piles of day workers carefully walked out of another door. Who the fuck are Man United? was the next song, and even the leaders joined in with this one. Gio shouted to John with a puzzled look in his eyes. How much you got left, John? I've only got two flurries. Yeah, two blueies for me as well, Gio. It should have been enough. After all, we don't need food. We've got adrenaline to eat up yet. The train ricketed and racketed through the ancient capital. As it hit each station, it howled another note of nasty white noise. An almost monstrous wind noise as the walls grew and the station exited every two minutes. Fucking moody muppets at this station. 
Some goons shouted, everyone plastered their noses on the window. It was just a few commuters and tramps. The station read seven sisters on what looked like a, a bathroom wall, all tiled. Let's stop for a shag, lads. I've got two of them. Some other tool shouted. They all piled out at Oxford Circus. A train pulled up with Liverpool Street written on it and they caused for a rendition of Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool to the tune of Here We Go. They changed up the stairs and 40 of them peered into the street at once. They looked so colourful and fresh. It'd been often discussed what they dressed like this, but the Liverpool lads always started all of the trends and the fact they had the richest gear on, sh on the shop in the eye of Papacha and the popular press and often disregarded the people as poor. Also the terrible gear that came out of the 70s was pulverised by these new stylists and besides they hated black and white TVs they used to watch. This was the modern era of colour. Arsenal was foreboding, big and brash. The old clock end was in view as they marched into the ground en masse. Gio and John were from working class stock, which meant they were skinny youngsters who had scraped through the 70s. The 70s was an era of healthy food, but not a great deal of it, simply due to the economics of having to low wage in a big family. They seemed to be temporarily split up from the main crew and were an army of two when they bumped into Arsenal's finest mostly black and white crew. One of the Cockneys dared a look at Gio. You from up north, kid? Gio panicked. Nah, from Safend, you numpty. What, um, okay, I'll see you any scarces, let us know. Them stinky northern brats done us last year. Eh, okay, lad. Gio slipped into a scouse but seemed to get away with it. Arsenal's ground was about the size of Anfield. The crowd was massed in every corner, nook and cranny. Gio was dressed in a pair of Adidas jeans, green trainers with red stripes, Leos jeans and a feeler track top. John had green tachini top, Adidas gazelles in red and white stripes and Lee jeans. They both looked so cool and could never get lost in a fog with them colours. To the right of them seemed to be a ruckus happening. A massive pointing arms like arrows directed towards the red fans and they sang... We ate scousers and we ate scousers, the Liverpool fan returned with a vicious You're gonna get your fucking heads kicked in. Arsenal fan returned with a classic tune of We got the canio, you've got our stereos. A few reds laughed at that one, but they returned with their own. Usual scouse wit and sang. He's fast, he's red, he sounds like Father Ted. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane, that was also a reference to the referee as the next chant. He's bald, he's red, he sleeps in fake, he said. Howard Webb, Howard Webb. There was another. There was an Arsenal player who liked to drive a lot of the Reds fans and shouted another chant. Wish my wife went down as well as you. A smart-ass cockney bell bellowed back. She does, and even the Reds laughed. There's only two German Ricks, was the next chant. It was shouted as if there was a rumour that he was a schizophrenic. 
Then the chants started getting even more vicious and a few golf balls and rocks started flying from both sets of fans. John gestured to Gio as they moved closer to the action. Dunno and Jack are in near end, some reds shouted. That's when it all went off and Arsenal crazy started to climb the fence. The Liverpool fans started pulling at the metal fence which is shaking and he must have felt 20 foot back on his side to the massive cheer of the Reds. Then Dunno Jack and about five of the Reds started lashing out with their fists. A massive ring of nothingness was created around them as home fans withdrew expecting a knife in the back. The away fans roared with delight again. The small band had another go and a few started fighting back but the majority were normal fans and quickly retreated from the Liverpool side. It lasted for seconds, then the Scousers retreated to an outlet in a big fence and ran across the corner and back in the away end. The last one got nabbed by overweight coppers, the crowd cheered again and the rendition of the wordless tune, Laurel and Hardy theme, was sung by all. Do-dee-doo, do-dee-doo. The rest of the match was uneventful, the result was too all. As they were all let out, there was a small police presence and a, quite a few got away from the sort of an escort. Fifteen Reds were strolling down the street on the other side. There was about eighty in Arsenal, giving a hand gestures. Come on, Sky City, have it! was bellowed as a few of the gunners. Then Arsenal fans started the strange bounce, which means they're ready for it. Tomo just looked at them and laughed. Got something in your kecks, you bunch of cunts. You want to go then? Fucking go. Wankers, let's go. As the Scousers crossed the road, which was slow-moving traffic, which glared to a halt once the rookers started. Arsenal met them in the middle, and it was a decent even fight until the nasty teenager called Laddie from Canny decided it was playtime with his craft knife and lashed out at someone's arms. The cockney screamed, and his nice ski top was ruined with claret. In the middle of the road, John was banging on some Cockney's bonds with his half-fist covered with nice sovereign rings. Gio was lashing out, having took a few jabs to the face, trying his best to fight off three casuals. He decided to turn a new move and smashed one bang on the roof of his head. He went down like he was a diving champ. The second Cockney went down as his legs turned to a crumpled crisp packet but it was time to retreat as the blood started to flow from the poor teenager. Fucking Vikings we are, shouted Lanny as he threw his blade to the ground and legged it backwards towards the police escort. The 15 then started their own unique chant, which referred to their homestand. The road end! The road end! A few bricks were thrown again by the home fans who seemed to have an endless supply. The police quickly moved in and separated any hooligans. Another shout went up. Fucking cockney cunts, we'll have you next year. Whoops of delight were from both sides were evident as the escort was followed by the London casuals back down towards Euston. As the bantering the following continued up the residential street towards the city centre, all residents closed their windows and those wise enough to shut us did the French thing. As the convoy moved into the station, there was a cross with Notts Forest fans who were playing in a capital. Kinsley shouted, Forest falls down, you cut them down. The forest lads pepped up and returned a few chants. Some even edged closer 
and held out both arms in a come and girls gesture, but not much happening as there was another platform separated by dangerous rails. As the small ordinary crew separated away from the convoy to get their own private ordinary train, the police left them to it and again took over a carriage, shouting at everyone, Get out! The Reds are in town! Businessmen and normalites quickly retreated to another carriage. As the train rolled on, the youths end up bored, and five walked towards the freight carriage, which often carried letters and parcels near the back of the front of the train. They quietly waited until the guard needed a piss, then sneaked in and stole a big load of boxes. Each lad could hardly see on the way back through the carriage doors and got some curious looks. As they entered the boys' carriage, there was cheers again as they threw a box to each person. Get your mittens into them, lads. It's Christmas, a month early. Fucking hell, Jig. What have you given me? What am I supposed to do with this shit? John pulled a pair of black lacy suspenders out of his box and put them on. Yes, John, open your legs. Let's have it, cockney cunt. Two lads jumped on John and he already had lacy knickers on their heads. John slammed to the floor and shouted, Fuck me, cockney, fuck me, to roars of laughter. Every station on the way back had its own sleazy decorations. The boys danced with their sleazy accessories and all sang to the Chelsea tune of One Man Went to Mo. One man fucked himself, one man fucked the cockney, one man and his dog's cock. Fuck the fucking cockney. End of chapter one.